Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. A very cloudy but cool morning here in Puerto Vallarta and it's nice to have you with us. We are moving on into Kings Chronicles Corinthians. We've got a that's almost took up the whole screen right now, writing all that down. But make sure you find um, a Bible and find your place. We're going to be reading a good little bit today. But before we get into that, I would like to go over and look at a couple of things in history in trivia. This day in August 9th in 1945. The U.S. drops the bomb, the fat man on the Japanese city of Nagasaki, killing many, many people. It's very sad. War is a sad, sad thing. Um, it was, the historians tell us, had we not dropped it on them, we would have had one dropped on us. Those things just never, never a good outcome either way, but... The plane was supposed to actually drop the bomb on Kukura, but cloud covered the city and forced the pilots to go to their secondary target. Smokey the Bear. This one is close to home for me and Renee. August 9th, 1945. Smokey the Bear poster debut debuts. Because of this, August 9th is used as Smokey's birthday. Nobody really knows the day Smokey was born, obviously. But August 9th was the day the poster came out, which used, used the slogan, Care will prevent 9 out of 10 forest fires. In 1950, the bear cub was rescued from New Mexico, a New Mexico wildfire down by where Renee lived, in the southern part of the state where she was brought up, and became the live embodiment of the cartoon Smokey Bear. The slogan eventually became, Only You Can Prevent Forest Fires. And Jesse Owen takes his fourth medal on this day in 1936 in front of Adolf Hitler and his theory that the Assyrian race was superior to everybody. And he was the great black African-American who <laughs> made our country proud. So that was awesome. All right. And we have to do a, a couple of bad dad jokes. We're into animal bad jokes right now. What do you give a dog with a fever? Mustard, because it's the best thing for a hot dog. Of course. And what do you call a rabbit with fleas? Bugs Bunny. <laughs> Let's move over into the reading this morning. Father God, we thank you for this morning and giving us this time together. As we come into your presence, may you guide us. And direct us, God. Thank you for the blessing that we have of being together. So, Father, just guide us through the word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry for you guys on, on Telegram. I um, forget. I have to I have to hit the button to get it started. So we're, we're jumping in a little bit late on Telegram. Now, in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam became king over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Maka, the daughter of Absalom. 
He walked in all the sins of his father, which he had committed before him. And his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, like the heart of his father David. But for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem to raise up his son after him to establish Jerusalem. Because David did what was right in the sight of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite, there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. Now the rest of the acts of Abijam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles and the kings of Judah? And there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. Eight. And Abijam slept with his father, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, became king in his place. So in the twentieth year of Jeroboam, the king of Israel, Asa began to reign as king in Judah. He reigned forty-one years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of Absalom. Asa did what was right in the sight of the Lord, like David his father. He also put away the male cult prostitutes from the land and removed all idols which his father had made. He also removed Makkah, his mother, from being queen mother because she had made a horrid image as an Asherah. And Asa cut down her horrid image and burned it at the brook Kidron. But the high places were not taken away. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly devoted to the Lord all his days. He brought into the house of the Lord the dedicated things of his father and his own dedicated things, silver and gold and utensils. Now there was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, all their days. Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming into Asa, the king of Judah. Then Asa took all the silver and the gold which were left in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king's house and delivered them into the hand of his servants. And King Asa sent them to Ben-Adad, the son of Tabirmam, the son of Hezion, king of Aram, who lived in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me as between my father and your father. Behold, I have sent you a present of silver and gold. Go, break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben Adad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel, conquered Lijon, Dan, Abel, Beth, Maka, and all Chinrath beside the land of Naphtali. When Basha heard of it, he ceased fortifying Ramah and remained in Tirzah. Then King Asa made a proclamation in all Judah. None were exempt. And they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber, which Basha had built. And King Asa built with them Geba and Benjamin and Mizpah. Jehoshaphat succeeds Asa, verse 23. Now the rest of all the acts of Asa and all of his might and all that he did in the cities which he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? But in the time of his old age, he was diseased in his feet. And Asa slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. And Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place. Nabad, then Basha, rules over Israel. Verse 25. Now Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, became king of Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah. 
and he reigned over Israel two years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in his sin, which he made Israel sin. Then Basha, the son of Ahijah, of the house of Issachar, conspired with him. And Basha struck him down at Gebethon, which belonged to the Philistines. While Nadab and all Israel were laying siege to Gebethon. And Basha killed him in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. And it came about as soon as he was king, he struck down all the household of Jeroboam. He did not leave to Jeroboam any persons alive until he had destroyed them, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken to a servant, Ahijah the Shilionite. And because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned, and which he made Israel sin, because of his provocation, which he provoked the Lord God of Israel's anger. Now the rest of the acts of Nadab and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Verse 32. And there was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, all their days. In the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Basha, the son of Ahijah, became king over all Israel and Tirzah and reigned 24 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin, which he made Israel's sin. Well, as I said, we talked about this a lot. Uh, judgment delayed, if not judgment denied. Jeroboam obviously thought he was going to get away with a, whatever he was up to, making those golden calves. He was concerned about the, pleasing the people so the people would follow him rather than pleasing God so that God would bless him and bless his children and bless his kingdom and cause him to be successful. And this is what happens. We, we get off track all the time and we get very, very focused on what we think will work for us in the short term. And so we cut corners and we sin against God because after all, um, people will accept me uh, if I do this. You know, he wanted to be king. He wanted to be in control. He wanted to have power. We turn, walk away from God and start serving foreign gods and start doing dumb things because we want, we want people to like us. Uh, we want to maintain our own control over our lives. I don't want God telling me what to do. And so we end up rebelling against him, thinking that somehow he's trying to make our life miserable when in fact what he's trying to do is help us have a wonderful, strong and and flourishing life in him. And it's very sad to see what happens here, but we do see some positive good things happening in Judah in the south. Asa, very good king. Jehoshaphat, very good king. And they decide to follow after David. And they and why did you only have good kings in the south? You have a few good kings in the south, none in the north. And I would suggest to you it has to do with the temple. And David, both. You have, they have the testimony of David. You have people that are there following his example, but also they're able to come into real worship of God and offer sacrifice there. And it's pleasing to God. It's not false worship around the um, golden calves, which was purely immoral and horrible. This was something pure. So people could then have real fellowship. And then those kings could then 
start realizing that they could follow after God, that they could uh, reign as his servants. And so it's, um, it's a blessing to see what happened with them. Give me one second here. Second Chronicles 13, in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, Abijah, king of, Abijah became king of Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Micaiah, the daughter of Uriel of Gibeah. There was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. Abijah began the battle with an army of valiant warriors, 400,000 chosen men, while Jeroboam drew up in battle formation against him with 800,000 chosen men who were valiant warriors. Now Abijah stood on Mount Zimmerim, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, and said, Listen to me, Jeroboam and all Israel. Do you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the rule over Israel forever to David? and his sons by covenant of salt. Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, son of David, rose up and rebelled against his master. And worthless men gathered around him scoundrels who proved too strong for Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when he was young, and Timon could not hold his own against him. So now you intend to resist the kingdom of the Lord through the sons of David, being a great multitude, and having with you the golden calves which Jeroboam made, for God's for you? Have you not driven out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and made for yourself priests like the people of other lands? Whoever comes to consult himself with a young bull and seven rams, even he may become a priest of what are no gods. But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. And the sons of Aaron are ministering to the Lord as priests and the Levites attend to their work. Every morning and evening, they burn to the Lord burnt offerings and fragrant incense. And the showbread is set on the clean table, and the golden lampstand with its lamps is ready to light every evening. For we keep the charge of the Lord our God, but you have forsaken him. Now behold, God is with us at our head and his priests with the signal trumpets to sound the alarm against you. O sons of Israel, do not fight against the Lord God of your fathers, for you will not succeed. But Jeroboam has sent an ambush to come from the rear, so that Israel was in front of Judah, and the ambush was behind. When Judah turned around, behold, they were attacked both front and rear, so they cried to the Lord, and the priest blew the trumpet. Then the men of Judah raised a war cry, and when the men of Judah raised the war cry, then it was that God routed Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. When the sons of Israel fled before Judah, God gave them into their hands. Abijah and his people defeated them with a great slaughter, so that 500,000 chosen men of Israel fell. Thus the sons of Israel were subdued at that time, and the sons of Judah conquered because they trusted in the Lord, the God of their fathers. Abijah punished Jeroboam and captured from him several cities, Bethel with its villages, Jeshanah with its villages, and Ephron and its villages. Jeroboam did not again recover strength in the days of Abijah, and the Lord struck him and he died. And Abijah became powerful and took 14 wives to himself and became the father of 22 sons and 16 daughters. Now the rest of the acts of Abijah and his ways and his words are written in the treaties of the prophet Edu. Wow, what a story. Stop there just for a minute. We're going to go into chapter 14. But imagine 
being outnumbered two to one. 800,000, almost a million men coming against you. You have 400,000. And Abijah stands boldly and says, you guys can't win. Uh, you got to admire a king like that who has the confidence of David. Who looks that's king? He looks at all those numbers and says, "It's nothing about not about the numbers. It's about who you're faithful to." And he was, and he was sure that they would lose, and they lost five hundred thousand men, which means, which means it was another slaughter. It wasn't even it wasn't even close in the battle. They had no chance. God was doing something. Uh, allowing that his the soldiers in the south, uh, Judah, just wield their sword and, and hit every single time. Unbelievable. Chapter 14 now. Asa succeeds Abijah in Judah. Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And his son Asa became king of this place. The land was undisturbed for ten years during his days. Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. And he removed the foreign altars and high places, tore down the sacred pillars, cut down the ashram, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God as their fathers and observe the law of the commandment. And he removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was undisturbed after him. He built fortified cities in Judah since the land was undisturbed and there was no one at war with him during those years because the Lord had given him rest. For he said to Judah, let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. Now Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, buried large shields and spears, and 280,000 from Benjamin, bearing shields and wielding bows. All of them were valiant warriors. Now, Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. And he came to Marisha. Now, Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up in battle formation in the valley of Zephatha at Marisha. And Asa called to the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, there is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord, our God, for we trust in you. And in your name have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah. And the Ethiopians fled. Asa and his people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar. And so many Ethiopians fell that they could not recover, for they were shattered before the Lord and before his army, and they carried away very much plunder. They destroyed all the cities around Gerar, for the dread of the Lord had fallen on them, and they despoiled their cities, for there was much plunder in them. They also struck down those who owned livestock and carried away a large number of sheep and camels. Then they returned to Jerusalem. So he said to us, even a greater uh, feat that his father learned from his father, not to put your trust in your numbers, but to put your trust in the Lord. One million plus against 300,000, more or less. That's, and it says that the other, the Ethiopians, 
um, became fearful of them, faint-hearted, whatever. How, how would one soldier of 300,000 looking upon a valley of a million men not fall into fear and shake and run and run away? These men were valiant in the sense that they were able to stand up and say, we don't know how we can win, but we know our God is able. And this is where we're supposed to take a lot of kind of counsel and comfort when we encounter those same situations. It may not be, be against an army, but it can be against a, a disease. It could be against a job situation. It could be against uh, people that are trying to destroy us politically, or, well, not politically for us, but just socially, uh, try to cause us trouble. So we have to look at the size of our God, not the size of our problem. Hold on a second. Okay, moving on now to 1 Corinthians 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as a spiritual man, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not yet even able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. Another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he will himself be saved, yet as though through the fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and and that is what you are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise, that they are useless. So then let no one boast in man, for all things belong to you. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you. And you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. This has a lot to say about the modern move in our world of wisdom and, and uh, well, psychology and uh, the universities. 
the bastions of wisdom. We're finding out now more and more that that wisdom is completely opposite of what real wisdom is. It's foolishness. We've got wisdom. We have professors and PhDs and all these people running around spouting off the great wisdom that we have 300 genders now. And you're supposed to be whatever you feel like you are. And you look at that, you go, that's insanity. That's complete idiocy. And so you find out that the wisdom of this world is not wisdom. It's man's wisdom and what man builds up. It's not the wisdom of God. God brings it forth real wisdom. The right knowledge applied the right way. Knowing how to live amongst people. Knowing that there are absolutes. That's the other thing about the great wisdom of the world today. There's no absolutes. Whatever you feel like. Whatever you feel is right is good, right to you. Well, there's no wisdom in that because if it felt right for me to kill you, I could kill you and I could not be arrested or nobody could do anything to me back because it felt right to me. That was my own moral <laughs> sense of what was right. So he said, look to the Lord. All things are in the Lord. And and as man, when we find out that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God dwells in us, that there is something holy about man, that's the other thing that the world rages against, that we're something special. The wisdom of man says we're not. The wisdom of man says we're the opposite of anything special. We're, un, we're unremarkable, we're unspecial, we're, we're pointless. There's no reason for us to even exist. And God says, no, I place my holy presence within you. When you choose to believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord God of this universe that created us and created the universe, then everything changes then you start to attain the wisdom of God and you start realizing why we're here and everything becomes remarkable. Well, let's continue on now. All right, let's read Charles Spurgeon together. August 9th, pruning the fruit brain, that's the name of it. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he pruneth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. John Fifteen two, This is a precious promise to one who lives for fruitfulness. At first, it seems to wear a sharp aspect. Must the fruitful bough be pruned? Must the knife cut even the best and most useful? No doubt it is so, for very much of our Lord's pruning work is done by means of afflictions of one kind or another. It is not the evil, but the good who have the promise of tribulation in this life. But then the end makes more than full amends for the painful nature of the means. If we may bring forth more fruit for our Lord, we will not mind the pruning and the loss. Still, purging is sometimes wrought by the word apart from the trial. And this takes away whatever appeared rough in the favor of the promise. We shall by the word be made more gracious and more useful. The Lord, who has made us in a measure fruit bearing, will operate upon us till we reach a far higher degree of fertility. Is not this a great joy? Truly, there is more comfort in a promise of fruitfulness than if we had been warranted riches or health or honor. Lord Jesus speedily fulfill thy gracious word to me and cause me to abound in fruit to thy praise.
Beautiful. Well, that is our prayer, Lord. That is our prayer that you would continue to prune us, but help us see it for what it is that is from you, and that you are making us more into your image. You're, you're refining us in your fire so that we can stand apart from the world and be able to discern what is the wisdom of God and what is the foolishness of man. Thank you for for bringing us out of the cloud, of the haze, of the confusion, of being caught up in this world and seeing everything from that aspect where we are really living in a complete matrix, in a, in a, in a complete deception. Thank you for bringing us into the light and into truth. And we, are, we praise you for that. We thank you for that. And we realize, God, that there are things you want to cut away, trim out of our life that aren't glorifying to you. So, God, we, we ask for your your hand to be steadfast upon us and help us see why you cut these things out so we don't get discouraged, but we get encouraged. So thank you, God, for that. And obviously, God, some of this includes the physical as well. Not that we're in sin, that we get sick because we're in sin, but often, God, you want to use the sickness to continue to make us and mold us more into your image to make us more trusting, to make us more gentle, and to use us to be a testimony to people around us. So we thank you for that. And we pray that you, you would, um, again, use Juan Carlos tomorrow, that he would be able to have that surgery, and that it would be, go very, very well. And it would come out of it without any, any problems, any infection, any swelling. Thank you for the rest of my brothers and sisters that are also healing up. Pray that you give us a lot of wisdom on what we're eating and uh, the amount of exercise we need. Thank you, God. Um, oh, I get an, an announcement. Juan Carlos is in emergency surgery. He has an abscess. Um, okay, God, we want to lift up our brother who's in surgery right at this moment unexpectedly. He has the abscess that broke. We need to be praying, God, um, that you, Father, we ask you right now that you guide the surgeon's hands, that they can t- that they can take out all of the fluids and all of the infection and everything going on, Father. And obviously, you knew this was going to happen. We thank you that he had a surgery um, theater in which to go into, and the doctors were there ready. So we thank you for that. I ask you for a special blessing on that surgery going on right now. And your hand would guide the surgeon's hands, and that you would be the one that would go in there and uh, clean out that whatever infection, whatever's causing the abscess, God, and that you would supernaturally, down to the molecular level, cause healing to take place. So we lift up our brother right now and ask that you supernaturally heal him. Put your hand in the hand of the surgeons, in Jesus' name. Wow, well, we'll leave it there for now. Just continue to say a little prayer for Juan Carlos. Uh, as the next hour goes on, as we don't know how long he's going to be in surgery, and... Um, if we hear some more, we'll try and get something. Uh, we'll try and get something posted to you. We'll see how it goes. So, God bless you guys. We will uh, catch up again to tomorrow, and we'll be continue reading on. I'm sure in Kings of Chronicles. So we will see you then. Bye bye.